Hello and welcome to the Journal of Medical Imaging Radiation Sciences podcast. JMIRS is the Journal of the Canadian Association of Medical Radiation Technologists and we publish in the fields of diagnostic imaging and radiation therapy. My name is Amanda Balderston and I'm the Editor-in-Chief of JMIRS. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Ian Boone to the JMIRS podcast. Um, Ian, maybe you'd like to introduce yourself and your paper? Uh, thank you, Amanda, for inviting me. Uh, my name is Ian Boone. Uh, I'm currently a, a specialist oncology registrar uh, working at the Leeds Cancer Centre. Great. And your paper was um, in our March edition um, for you and your co-authors. Uh, and it's intriguingly uh, has the, the words butterfly effect in the title. Um, so I'd like to just start off by asking you, how is the butterfly effect of COVID-19 triggering long-term consequences in our oncology landscape? Uh, thank you, Amanda. Uh, so this is an opinion-based paper written uh, by myself and my colleagues, uh, Jean Lim, Tracy Aoyong, as well as Cheng Boon. And we took the analogy of butterfly effect uh, from the chaos theory, where uh, what it meant was early changes in any... Uh, significant event can often have a severe or significant long-term consequences. Uh, I think this is aptly describes uh, the challenges uh, brought, fo brought forward by the uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, as we still see in this current, uh, in this current time. Uh, I, I think the COVID-19 pandemic uh, significantly challenges uh, the way uh, we function uh, as uh, radiation technologists uh, in particularly, uh, whereby it challenges the concept of evidence-based medicine. Uh, in our uh, radiation practices uh, and cl or clinical oncology practices uh, over this site, uh, we are often driven by evidence and large trials. Uh, but COVID-19 poses significant challenges in, in this because modern medicine has not known about a, a, a medical condition uh, such as COVID-19. So there's a significant knowledge gap uh, that uh, is identified. Uh, and uh, that's why so, so much changes happen so rapidly uh, as seen uh, by the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, the first changes that we've seen uh, was mostly driven by initial case series with very limited information uh, coming out of China. Uh, that have led to significant changes in practice, uh, primarily to reduce the risk of transmission, uh, as well as because of significant expected uh, disruption within the uh, radiation technologies uh, clinical pathway. Uh, secondly to that, uh, obviously in, in order to reduce uh, transmission as well as to improve efficiency uh, due to the expected uh, service disruption. Uh, what we have seen significantly is the adoption of uh, digital healthcare uh, within the entire radiation technologies pathway. Uh, from a clinician point of view, there is a huge adoption of telemedicine, uh, the adoption of virtual clinics, and as well as working from home. Uh, and this is affecting uh, not only physicists, but also radiographers, particularly in smaller centers where you have very small member of staff 
uh, running a niche of very highly specialist services such as uh, bracket therapy or specialist radiotherapy techniques where you have very small uh, 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 cohort of co-workers uh, that you have to preserve. Significantly is how it has affected uh, the medical education of all our trainees and trainers as well. As seen by uh, this is a significant disruption uh, of the education of our, our medical students, of our trainee radiographers, of our trainee physicists. Uh, there's a, a rapid adaptation of uh, changes in the format of how medical conferences uh, are being run, where now it is uh, mainly in the virtual format, uh, as well as also uh, making us think twice before um, having a patient contact uh, in order to reduce risk uh, as well. Uh, so it's interesting about education, Ian, because you're right, um, we've really had to change how we practice. And as I said, a lot of stuff's gone online, but you mentioned that some patient care skills really can't be treated, uh, sorry, can't be taught virtually. And for our practice, we have a lot of clinical practice. So we spend a lot of time in the clinics with patients learning and developing competency and that a lot of that can't be done in a simulated environment. Um, what do you think about simulation in general as, a, as an educational tool, especially having to sort of move to that during COVID? Mm -hmm. Thank you, Amanda. I think that's a great point. I, I think there's definitely a role for simulation uh, within the, uh, the education of radiation technologies. Uh, as you said, increasingly there is evidence as well as there is uh, a growing demand for simulation even among our uh, trainee. Uh, when we first join oncology in our centers, we do have simulation on the management of uh, acute oncology cases. And I found that those were, were significantly benefit because you were being put in a, a controlled environment, uh, but no less as realistic. Uh, so I agree with you, we need to be innovative. Uh, we need to be able to uh, uh, accept changes as well as to evaluate the efficacy of such changes uh, uh, before adapting. And I think, as you say, the, the important stakeholders here are the, the trainees, the trainers, and the patients. As, as long as uh, the, the, the well-being, as well as the uh, experience of being well-taught and learning points are being reflected on, we can learn the best, best practices uh, in, in a very globalized uh, fashion. Uh, any great practices in any small centers or any centers across the world can be easily shared uh, openly. Uh, and I think that will great, bring great benefit uh, to our uh, community of uh, radiation technologies. Mm, I think you're right. I think there was a sort of general reluctance to adapt to sort of wholesale simulation and then the pandemic came and we've seen things in a, in a bit of a different light. I think it'll become a lot more accept acceptable in the future. Mm -hmm. And I, I agree with you. Uh, I think often before we trigger changes in practice, uh, what people usually want to see is, uh, are those benefit measurable? And we have to think about measuring the outcomes uh, before we introduce changes as well. And if we can show to people that there is benefit, uh, there is good feedback, and that it is able to be validated uh, externally as well, then usually it will lead to a widespread adaptation, just like with any adaptation of any innovation uh, within radiation, within radiation uh, technologies uh, adaptation.
So you talked a little bit about education, Ian, but I teach undergraduate radiation therapy students and we've seen a lot of issues. We've seen, you know, delays in their placements, um, sort of a general shift, everybody's learning online and there's a lot of stress for students and for staff, but I mean, for students particularly, it's been really difficult. Um, how do you think the pandemic will affect the future of radiation therapy education? Uh, thank you, Amanda. This is a, a extremely important and significant point that you've highlighted. Uh, as we have seen, uh, the medical education scene, as well as the training of our uh, trainees, as well as trainers, has been significantly disrupted. Uh, as uh, From what we can say for now, I suspect uh, some elements of the virtual format are being adopted uh, by, the, um, by the entire medical education system will likely remain uh, due to the, uh, not only the uh, disruptions, as, but also, uh, I would say, some benefits of uh, the virtual format as well. Uh, I do agree that uh, in patient care, uh, there are certain skills that require patient uh, contact as well. For example, uh, communication skills, uh, breaking bad news. I suspect these skills are very difficult to be in the virtual format. So what we see is uh, there's no short of innovation as well as there's no monopoly of good ideas. And as been promoted by your journal, JIMRS, we've seen uh, experiences from all parts of the world where people are adopting new ways of learning as well as trying to uh, preserve important skills such as uh, leadership, communication with patients, uh, as well as recognizing and handling uncertainties uh, brought by the COVID-19 pandemic. So what we see is there's endless innovation and good practices being shared uh, and particularly uh, being uh, shared through your journal as well. I think it's important uh, that we keep that up. Uh, next to say is that obviously in, in, in any uncertainty brought by significant changes uh, such as this uh, COVID-19 pandemic, uh, we need to think about our patients because they are the center of our care. And I'm being reflected on the, the words of, uh, of our pioneers of William Osler who said, uh, we should always think about cure sometimes. Uh, we treat often and comfort always. And I suspect, as we all know, in all our training, our patients are our greatest teachers. Mm, yeah, William also a good Canadian physician there. Okay, thanks, Ian. Um, in your paper as well, you talk about how treatments have shifted because of the COVID pandemic. You touch on how some non-surgical options are being used and, and fractionation mm. schedules are changing. Can you tell me a bit about that? Yep. Uh, now, this has been confirmed by the uh, survey within the Net National Health Service of uh, United Kingdom Radiotherapy Practices within the Lancet Oncology paper uh, that has shown that there was an initial reduction in uh, radiotherapy uh, on the first wave of the COVID-19 pandemic and subsequently followed by an increase in uh, radiotherapy usage in particularly, uh, as mentioned, sites such as uh, the bladder cancer and esophageal cancer due to the reduction in the uh, surgical oncology capacity uh, where patients are being offered more non-surgical options. Uh, within this trend, we also see there is a greater and rapid adaptation of hyperfractionation in radiotherapy as well, that is using less fraction of radiotherapy. The ISO effectiveness of hypofractionated radiotherapy uh, has been confirmed in major sites uh, of cancer, including prostate cancer, 
as well as breast cancer. In fact, uh, one of the trials, the fast forward trial for breast radiotherapy uh, has been, uh, the results have been released earlier to allow the adoption in view of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And this has significant benefit whereby reducing the amount of visits for patient and also in a way reducing uh, the workflow within the radiotherapy or radiation technologies clinical pathway. So we're, we're approaching, I guess, maybe what we like to call a third wave. You know, we've got new variants, there's vaccines, a healthcare system has really had to shift, um, shift gears. What do you think the future is? What's it gonna be like over the next couple of months? Uh, that's a great question, Amanda. And I think what we see is, again, being brought forward by the COVID-19 pandemic is uh, what I would say an inequality uh, in global oncology practices as well. Uh, as we can see the rollout of a vaccination, uh, there's a great disparity between rich country and poorer country. Uh, it's very difficult to predict because I suspect what happens is each practices within the locality uh, and different countries will be very, very different. But what we can say is cancer patients have a, a very difficult choice whereby the, uh, the, the window, the curative window is very limited. And what we have seen so far is there's great evidence that COVID-19 pandemic shows significant uh, uh, mortality related to age and comorbidities. There's again, at this point, no conclusive evidence to show that uh, systemic anti-cancer treatment or radiotherapy increases, increases that risk. So it is important that we take that in mind. And I think one of the major practices to ensure that uh, when patients are indicated fit enough for treatment are offered radi life-saving radiotherapy within a safe environment. I think it's okay for us to change our, our, our uh, viewpoint as new evidence emerge, uh, but what we will be at fault will be not changing, not changing our decision when we have changed our minds. So it is a lot of uncertainty uh, and also brings forth that the importance of, uh, of global vaccination uh, um, a strategy that is important for us to not forget uh, the poorer parts of, of the countries within, within, within this world as well. Uh, I would say thank you, Amanda, for your great work uh, in, uh, 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 in helping to disseminate important uh, practices as well as sharing best practices among the radiation uh, uh, technologies uh, uh, community and also your highlight of the importance of education as well as maintaining uh, the well-being as well as the uh, uh, psychological health of our trainees and trainers in this difficult and uncertain times uh, and as you said it is a great platform to share good practices and I look forward to read uh, more uh, opportunities and more experiences uh, on your article on your journal. Yeah, thanks so much, Ian. And um, we look forward to more submissions, maybe as the butterfly effect of the pandemic carries on, we'll see more changes and um, have more commentaries and have more conversation about this. But thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Amanda. Best wishes. So that's a wrap. Thank you for listening today. Our current edition is available at jmirs.org. 
and we hope that you continue to listen and that you can join us next time.